The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. These next several weeks, we're going to be talking about what the Bible says about marriage. And as I usually do this, you know, praying about what I'm going to speak and looking at the scriptures that are talking about marriage and reading biblical scholars and what they have to say, listening uh, to current and reading current events on the topic, I came across an article that was given to me that I want to share with you. Uh, it's an it's a article from a science uh, journal. And the reason I want to do that is because it identifies the very first two people who were married. It's in the Bible, book of Genesis. Who are they? Adam and Eve. It actually uses Adam and Eve's words, and I want you to take a look at this picture and, and, and just kind of the title. It's a little bit longer than, than what's on the screen, but it says this, Adam and Eve uncovered human sex determining chromosomes. So the X chromosome on the left and the much smaller Y chromosome on the right. And here's what the article says. Almost every man alive can trace his origins to one man who lived about 135,000 years ago. New research suggests that, and that ancient man likely shared the planet with the mother of all women. Findings detailed in August 1st uh, Journal of Science magazines come from the most complete analysis of the male sex chromosome or the Y chromosome to date. Now, it surprised me for two reasons. One, it actually uses Adam and Eve from the Bible. And two, it didn't espouse that Adam and Eve came from monkeys. I mean, that's, that's really rare that you would find that in, in today's scientific world. And despite what humans think about science and, and how smart we think we are, God's wisdom and God's ways are always greater than man's ways. Isn't that true? And he is much wiser than the most intelligent human beings we have. But today, uh, well, first of all, I understand that because I was in St. Louis uh, from the 21st until the 2nd, that on Christmas Eve, there were some bad dad jokes coming around here. Did you hear that? Were you here when you, when you saw Dave and Eric Farrell uh, talking about bad? Well, you know what? I'm going to start off with and just get it out of the way for 2019, my bad dad joke, okay? You ready? Two archaeologists walk into a bar. No, that's not how it goes. I already messed it up. Two archaeologists go into a cave, and they stumble upon two people, a man and a woman, frozen in ice. And they look, and they think, wow. Quiet moments, all of a sudden, one of the archaeologists says, I know who that is. That's Adam and Eve. He was right. How did he know? No identification. No, it's kind of a joke, but a riddle, you know. No fig leaves. I mean, how did they, how do you know he's Adam and Eve? There were no belly buttons. Yeah. First human beings God created, did they need umbilical cords? All right. Okay, my bad dad joke is out of the way for 2019. But Adam and Eve, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're actually going to be in the first several books of Genesis. So if you want to get out your Bibles, get out your devices, we are going to be, be ready to open up to Genesis chapter 1, talking about the first people that God united together in marriage. The foundations, really, uh, of life and marriage are found in, in the scriptures that we're going to go to. And here's my first point as you flip there. First point is this. Marriage is God's idea. God created it. He instituted it, 
I mean, he created so many things, the solar system, our world, the colors, the water, our amazing bodies, so much. But also, marriage is God's creation. He designed it to be that way for us. It's something that man didn't come up with and invent, not like a light bulb or the internet or something like that. No, marriage is God's creation, and since he's the author of it, He is also the one to decide the parameters of marriage and how it's going to be. And God stipulates this in Genesis. Genesis 2, actually, 24, says it this way. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Genesis 2, 24 says that. But then 2,000 years later, Jesus actually reiterates that. He says this in two places in the gospel, Matthew chapter 19 and Mark 10. He says, haven't you read? He replied, At the beginning, that's Genesis. At the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united his wife. The two will become flesh, will become one flesh so that they're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus says it. The apostle Paul in Ephesians 5 says it. Revelation talks about about it, we see over and over in God's words that marriage is between one man and one woman. Not two men married, not two women married, not a man or a woman married to an animal, not a man married to multiple wives or a woman married to multiple husbands. One man, one woman. As, as I was meditating on these verses throughout the scripture, yeah, I saw that, you know, the scriptures say that one man leaves his parents and they, he joins with one woman. But with something interesting uh, in this passage and others, that it, it, it doesn't say that a man's going to leave his two fathers or his two mothers. But it does say clearly in the scriptures that marriage is between a male and a female. Marriage that God intended is also to be a lifelong commitment. Obviously, as human beings that are sinful, we haven't lived out and followed God's plan, but God's plan and his standards are always the best for us. But what I found in Ecclesiastes 9, uh, chapter 9, verse 9, says it this way, enjoy life with your wife. It's got a ring to it, doesn't it? Kind of reminds you of, you know, happy wife, happy what? Life. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love how many days of the year or of your life, right? All the days, kind of somber of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. But really, marriage is intended to be a lifelong covenant commitment. In fact, the Bible says that God hates divorce. Jesus reiterates that as well. So it's a lifelong covenant between a male and a female. And yet the facts and reality of today's word is that we want to redefine what marriage is. And it doesn't necessarily last a lifetime because of sin. And we reap and we sow the seeds of this all over the place in our culture. So we might ask ourselves, why? You know, how how did this come to be this way? And for that, we need to really look at some foundational things about life in marriage from the Scripture. So I'm going to ask you to go to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. as, As God creates human beings on the sixth day, the sixth day, right? It's We are, as human beings, God's pinnacle. God's masterpiece of his creation. And so Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26, says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, 
And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the ground. See, there's so much in the beginning of the Bible from Genesis 1 that you can talk about humanity and creation. I'm going to pull out just some of the themes, that, though, that go along with this topic of marriage found in verse 26 and 27 right from the beginning. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, God says, to be made in the image of God is to be made similar to God himself. That's how we're his masterpiece. No, no other living thing on earth are like human beings. To have that image of God that's passed down then to every living human being after Adam and Eve. Yet, we weren't exactly perfect anymore because of sin. And we're going to go to that story and just understand the brokenness on how that sin started with the temptation in the garden. I want you to flip to Genesis chapter 3. Go there with me. Genesis chapter 3, we're going to learn how, how this brokenness started, beginning in verse 1. The Bible says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat. Fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan lies to Eve. She falls for it. Adam falls for it, too, because if you look in verse 6, it says that, that, that Adam was with her during this. So beginning with the first two people on earth, we've fallen into this sin and this trap that we can be exactly like God. And the implications of this, they're really off the charts as we think about our world and society, that we think we know as much as God does. And maybe if we don't want to admit it, maybe we think we know more or better than God. And here's where I think this defining marker of how this all went astray comes to be. It's in verse 1. The devil says to the woman, did God really say? Did God really say? You see, God's words are God's words, aren't they? I mean, from the very beginning of Christianity, God's word was the inspired, the inerrant, the infallible word of God. But our human thinking has evolved so much, has advanced so much, that we think, you know what? Well, sinful human beings wrote the Bible. Therefore, if sinful human beings wrote the Bible, the the Bible must have some sin in it. Therefore, God's word maybe isn't really God's word. And we question and we doubt, did he really mean this? Did he really say this? And this starts this slippery slope. That God's, what God said may be really not what, what he said. Maybe it's what sinful man said. And that's a deception from the devil. And what does that mean? Well, it means this. 
It means what, what, what people are, when people are making decisions, they're not necessarily making decisions, or they are, rather, making decisions without God's word about what's good for society, what's good for them, what's good for us. And it's a big bummer because the scripture says that we have a broken image of God in us. We aren't totally like him because of sin. And because of this, the law of the land is such that we can think about redefining what marriage should be. And what scripture says is marriage is what God intends it to be between one man and one woman for a lifetime. Now, if you'll go to Genesis chapter 5, we're going to look at and explain why this is broken. Genesis chapter 5, beginning verses 1 through 3, when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And when they were created, he called them man. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness and his own image, and he named him Seth. You see, when Adam had his son, was it made after God's likeness or Adam's likeness? Adam's. And what do we know about Adam? This is is Genesis chapter 5. From Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve fell into sin. Therefore, that sin gene passed down to every one of their children, including Seth. See, Adam and Eve, their sin of disobedience set into motion a domino effect that carries on to today. We sin. We struggle. Our thinking is imperfect. Our actions are sinful. and, And we don't think perfectly like God would have us think, and that's impacted marriage. How so? Just a few years ago, the U.S. Supreme Court has now decided that it is the law of the land and is legal that marriage can be between a man and a man and a woman and a woman. But that's not how our designer, our creator intended it that it should be. I like the way um, this biblical scholar, Dr. Richard Iyer, put it in an article. I'm going to read some of it for you in in a Lutheran uh, magazine. It was uh, 2003 Lutheran Witness. He writes these words. What is marriage then? Is marriage the union of man and woman, or is it also the union of a man to another man or a woman to another woman? Is it a promise of commitment for life before God and the community? Or is marriage simply any two people choosing to live together without a commitment for life, for sexual convenience or mutual financial benefit? Is marriage little more than an invention of an outdated culture and therefore something that needs to be revised from generation to generation? Here's what I like from the, the, the last part of his article. He says this, The message for Christians from the Word of God is that marriage is not whatever we choose to make of it. It's what God has made it to be. I like his words because they're sobering, because we struggle with what God's word says in our brokenness. We begin our discussion, our foundation of marriage, and just to review, we've said it's a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. But the next understanding about marriage is this. It's a gift. It's a gift. We celebrated just over the holidays, Christmas, right? The greatest gift 
that could be ever given to us. God's son in the flesh for us. But he also gives us so many other gifts that come along with that. One is marriage. And for that, we need to continue to be in the book of Genesis and ask ourselves the question, how again did did God say he created us? How did he create human beings from the very beginning? He created both male and female. So if you flip back to Genesis chapter 1, go to Genesis chapter 1, and and you see some repeated phrases in in, in Genesis 1. You see phrases like, and God said, let there be. And there was morning and there was evening. And God said, let there be. And he saw all that he made, and he saw that it was good. Six times in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible says that he saw what he made, and he called it what? Good. Good. And the next day, and the next day, and so on. On the seventh time, though, that he says this, it was just not good. But on the sixth day of creation, look at verse 31 of chapter 1. It says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. Not just good, but very good. And here's where we get to the subject of marriage being a gift. Did you know that the very next chapter, God says that something is not good? Wait a minute. How can something be not good? I mean, you made things good and not just good. You made them very good. And now you're going to say in chapter 2 that you did something that was not good. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Starting in verse 18, we're going to read uh, some scripture verses there. What can't be good? Then the Lord God said, in verse 18, it is what? Not good. It's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, wow. No, that's more than that. The man said, Pretty much the same. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. And they will become one flesh. You see, God reveals in this portion of scripture that man is not destined to be alone. That a man is destined to have companionship with a woman. So this gift God gave Adam and all the rest of us men is marriage. This companionship that meets this need. God knows that how one woman complements a man. Gives support. Gives strength. Provides love. Both ways. It's not good that man should be alone. Not that God made something not good. And this is what I like about this. Not that he made it not good. No, not at all. God already knew in his foreknowledge, and I love this the way I think, I think God has a, a funny sense of humor in this. You know, he's naming all the animals. This is who you're going to be. This is who you're going to be. And then he finally says, what? Well, where's my mate? You see, God didn't impose a wife on Adam. But what did God do? God made Adam realize 
that he needed someone to compliment him, to perfectly fit him in God's plan. It's not good for Adam to be alone. God made a helper and gifted her to Adam. So marriage is a gift. So I, I, kind of, I feel the need to, to just take a moment as an aside because I know that in a group this size, I'm talking to so many different people, people that are married, people that are single. So I want to say this to specifically to those of you that lost a spouse. In fact, I was just talking to uh, Donna this morning uh, about five years ago when her husband passed away and I actually baptized him in the hospital. Thank you for reminding me of that. Because Some of you have suffered the loss of a death of a spouse. Some of you have been divorced and I want to be sensitive to you and let you know that as your pastors, we're here to provide counsel for you, biblical counsel, to help you with resources. So please know that anytime you can come in, if you're going through any difficult time in your life, that we're here. If you're a guest, if you're just here new for the first time, know that we're here. And as pastors, I'll speak for all of us, Joe, we want you to come way early, before trouble start, so that when they come, you can be equipped for that. And we have, we have classes that will equip you as well. I want to take a minute also to talk to you about singleness. Because the gift of marriage is, is, is not for everyone. Singleness is also a gift. I kind of liken it this way. You know, some, sometimes people are ashamed that they didn't go to college, but they have a great working job, you know. And some of us have gone to college. And it's like there's no shame in being single. And for some of you single people, maybe you'll be married. Maybe you won't ever be married. But still, you can see how God talks about marriage from a biblical viewpoint. And you can be equipped if God leads you to a spouse. I also want to say this uh, in a group this size that I want to speak to. Um, inevitably, some of you in those seats uh, may be struggling with same-sex attraction or homosexuality. And just please know that that sin is the same as any other kind of sin that people around you struggle with. It's not any different. And God's grace covers a multitude of sins. We all struggle with something. Sin is sin. So as you hear about this scripture about marriage, he's telling us this is what's his best for us. And there's so many times that when we're sitting in those seats, God's word just hits us right between the eyes that you struggle with this sin. Please know that Myself included, when I sit in those seats, when I hear from different pastors, we're all sinners. And this is the place we need to be, amen? Regardless of what sin you struggle with, because God's forgiveness is for everyone. I just want to take that moment to share with you. And just to recap, really, uh, about marriage, it's, it's God's idea. Marriage is God's gift. The next principle about marriage to understand is that God uses marriage to continue our human race, to be existing continually on earth, that men and women are created uniquely different and anatomically designed for each other. I mean, who hasn't heard the birds and the beast story from a mom or dad or from a school health class? As a husband and wife, there is intimacy and there is actually pleasure that God intended to have and to give to us so that babies are made. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. 
ties in closely with, with this gift and in, in, in this procreation. Uh, it says this, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. They will become one flesh. This one flesh, is, it's, it's, it's a mystery how God would take totally different human beings, different in sex and different in, in thoughts and, and, and put them together as one. And then the natural expression of that becomes this, this procreation of children. See, the oneness extends far beyond the physical intimacy that you have. But it, it implies our, our mind, our body, and our soul. That a married couple would share the same values and share the same goals and work toward a common good and role that they have for one another. And this is why it's so important, and hear me clearly on this, that Christians shouldn't marry someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 teaches us not be unequally yoked together. Why? Because that, da- that damages the spiritual oneness that God intends. So through marriage, it brings us into a relationship with somebody that's totally different than us. But then what happens? We reflect back a truth. It, it, we get this reflection back of a truth of our own nature. Two people. We share a common nature, but we're totally different. And what happens is it draws us out so that we can trust each other, we can grow together, we can serve one another, we can love one another. My wife, Jen, and I, we've been married now going on 26 years this May. God has blessed us with six children, three boys and three girls. And I don't think I've said this to you of how we met, actually. Uh, And if I have, well, you're going to hear it again. You can just sit there and... uh, Think about something else. But, but uh, I met her when I was my second year of college, and she was in high school still. Yeah, yeah, robbing the cradle. But, but I needed a second job, so my, my, my buddy takes me to this grocery store and says, hey, you can get, a, you can get another job here. It's kind of easy. All right, so what did I, you know, you start at the low, low uh, end there, uh, and I was a, a bagger, right, a, a grocery clerk, uh, and, and Jen just happened to be the trainer of all the newbies. So, you know, typically it just what happens is the guys get the harder jobs. I don't know why. You know, the girls just wanted to put easy stuff on the shelf, you know. But, but the guys, they got to get the heavy stuff, and they, they mop the floor, and they cardboard machines, all that kind of stuff. And, 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 and at the closing of the night, when nobody's really in the store, uh, Jen goes on the intercom. She's my trainer, right? She says, uh, Tony Trash, please. Tony Trash. Like, oh, great. I got to go take all the trash out in addition to all this other stuff. And you know what? There's not a week that goes by in my house <laughs> that she doesn't say, Tony, trash, please, trash. So what am I in our marriage? I'm just the trash man. What is she? She's this logistical super mom coordinator. But marriage is really, it's a mystery. And it's a miraculous gift that God would unite two people together. It's God's idea designed to meet our need for companionship. It's a gift. It's for procreation. It provides this, really, and it's the last point I'm going to make today, this illustration of our relationship with God himself. Our relationship with God himself. Marriage is this earthly relationship, and it's all throughout the scriptures that points to our relationship between us and God into eternity. 
Because as I said before, early on, we are called the bride of who? The bride of Christ. And Jesus is our perfect groom. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 and 7, I'll close with this. John writes, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude shouting, Hallelujah! Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride and his bride has made herself ready. See, in the Old Testament, God's people, when they worshiped other gods, God told them, you know what you're doing? You're being unfaithful to me. You see, God is this God who, who wants faithfulness. He stresses it in, his, in our relationship with him. Same goes with marriage. So if you're, you're a Christian, here's some news for you. Maybe you haven't thought about this or dwelled on it. If you're a Christian, whether you're married or you're single, guess what? You're married to Jesus. You're married to Jesus. God has this intimate love relationship that he wants to, to, to show us until eternity, until he comes again. And so he showers us with his grace. He showers us with his mercy and his love because he says, I'm giving you my son as the perfect groom, Jesus. And in the scripture, Jesus says what he's done to his bride, he's washed us. He's made us pure. He's made us become righteous before a holy God. This is what Jesus has done for each and every person in this world. Jesus, our perfect groom. So as we continue this talk on marriage these next several weeks, I pray that you would have on your minds and hearts the people that are getting married in this place. Will Patton is getting married today somewhere in Wisconsin, if you know Larry's son. The people that are going to be married, the people that are married already, the people that are single, that may be getting married or may stay single for the rest of their life, that we would all have our biblical understanding. It's a foundation that's set. God's love for us, shown in Jesus, the perfect groom. Amen?